The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Our last Reimagine America radio podcast ended with a promise to come back this week with a look forward, a look to feeling some spring in our step when the spring season begins. And we're going to have that conversation soon in the next couple of days. But the continuing and yes, escalating events of the last week, culminating in the second House impeachment of Donald J. Trump, call for comment. I have a reputation for telling my business clients what they need to know rather than what they want to hear. The vast majority of American voters, polls put the numbers somewhere between 67 and 80%, recognize and acknowledge that Joseph R. Biden is the duly and fairly freely elected 46th president of the United States. Even House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy acknowledged that fact on the House floor on Wednesday. But when he went on to anticipate in his remarks a peaceful transfer of power on January the 20th, my head nearly exploded. We're not going to have a peaceful transfer of power. We are planning for the legitimate continuation of our national government during a period of armed and dangerous insurrection. How bad is it? The Secret Service has told Joe Biden he cannot ride Amtrak from Wilmington to Washington next week. This this is a trip he took almost every workday for 40 years during his Senate career. But this week, his safety over the 90-minute train journey cannot be guaranteed. Let that sink in for just a second. Can't ride a train in safety. Members of Congress must now pass through magnetometers in order to enter the House or Senate chambers. That means they can't trust their own fellow members. This evening, there are 20,000 National Guard troops deployed in Washington, D.C. They have been armed. They were armed on order of the Secretary of the Army. They've come from all over the country to secure the Capitol Mall from the Capitol building itself to the Tidal Pool and the Arlington Memorial Bridge. There won't be any casual tourists watching the inauguration. Too dangerous. We all saw pictures yesterday of National Guard troops, hundreds of National Guard troops, bivouacking in the corridors of the Capitol building. They were sent there to protect the Article I branch of government. 
You know, 20,000 National Guardsmen and women, you know, that's 16,000 more than the total U.S. military commitment currently deployed to Afghanistan to prevent a reemergence of the terrorist threat against the U.S. homeland. There haven't been 20,000 troops massed in Washington, D.C. since, let's say, Bull Run at the beginning of the Civil War. In addition, every one of our 50 state governors has been warned by FBI Director Christopher Wray that they need to deploy additional Guard members to defend state and federal buildings in their states against the potential violence expected in the next days and weeks. Think back through history. Oh, forget history. Think back eight or 12 or 20 years ago when we did have peaceful transfers of power. You know, when George W. Bush took the oath of office, the streets of Washington were clogged with tourists and invited guests. The most sinister protest was that some White House staffers damaged the W key on their keyboards as they were preparing to leave the West Wing for the last time. In 2009, the entire mall from the Capitol building to the Arlington Bridge was packed, absolutely packed with Americans who had come to celebrate the peaceful transfer of power and the inauguration of the first black American as president of the United States. Law enforcement, law enforcement was part of the celebratory mood. They were dancing with the visitors. Well, 2021's inauguration was always gonna be different. It was going to be different because we are in the midst of an out of control, poorly managed pandemic. And that out of control pandemic dictated that the inauguration be much smaller and uh, more contained so that we wouldn't spread the disease. But 20,000 armed troops occupying the national capital a week ago, that was absolutely inconceivable. You know, there's always been inaugural security to protect the homeland against foreign enemies. I mean, that's just something we've come to do. But now, now these 20,000 National Guards people, men and women, they've come to guard, to protect our lawfully established government against homegrown right-wing terrorists who have made common cause with Donald J. Trump and his um, steel rhetoric. FBI Director Christopher Wray on Wednesday warned the governors and major metropolitan mayors of every city in the country that they've got to prepare to hold back violence in their streets and their public buildings both this coming weekend during the inauguration, and geez, even after, because he's warned them, violence is not an if, it's a when, where, and how that we don't know.
There is serious concern among many high-level government officials about continuing the tradition of an outdoor swearing-in ceremony on the Capitol steps. In addition to the president and the vice president-elect, the ceremony will be attended by the three most recent former presidents and by Vice President Pence, his attendance and attempt to perpetu perpetuate the myth of normalcy, a normal, peaceful transfer of power. But it, that's a myth on January 20th, 2021. How did we get here? More importantly, where do we go from here? What are the lessons we are going to learn as we answer those questions? Donald Trump did not invent or initiate significant right-wing extremist groups and the views they hold in the United States. Those views have been with us since the beginning of European settlement in North America. The original language of the US Constitution declares that only white men could be citizens of the United States. It took the passage of the 13th, 14th, 15th, and 19th Amendments to grant citizenship to Black American men, and more recently, to all women of any color. Those four amendments left indigenous people on the side. They were treated as aliens, on their own continent. The indigenous people, Native Americans as we like to call them, didn't get universal citizenship until an act of Congress in 1929. Long time after Custer. Political populism and white supremacy have been intertwined in our history since at least the end of the Civil War. I mean, what is the KKK? It's a white supremacist social organization, don't you know? And it included members as mainstream as future Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black. It's what you did if you wanted a future in politics. Jim Crow perpetuated by populist leaders, Huey Long comes to mind, dominated the Southern states of the United States for nearly a century before the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. FBI Director Christopher Wray called the alt-right white supremacists the most serious threat to homeland security in testimony to Congress in September of last year. Donald Trump had a hissy fit, but Donald Trump also unleashed that white supremacist alt-right. You know, I mean, it had been a long time since Oklahoma City and Ruby Ridge. There's been a whole sequence of events since then. Most recently, the events in um, 2019 in um, El Paso and um, uh, Columbus, Ohio. But Donald Trump I'm not even sure he really fully understood the breadth and depth of white supremacist movements, okay? 
But with his rhetoric, beginning in 2015, he unleashed them. He embraced and legitimized white supremacy in the pursuit of his own personal power. And he underscored that in his comments after Charlottesville in 2017. Trump's rhetoric, his policies, brought the worst among us out of the murky shadows and into the bright light of contemporary American politics, emboldened to demand that they, and they alone, were entitled to command the public square. Donald Trump legitimized hatred. Donald Trump legitimized racism. Donald Trump legitimized violence. For what does it mean to, quote, fight, unquote? What does it mean to do, do, quote, whatever needed to stop the steal? You know what that means? It's an advocation of violence. Do whatever we need. We must take it back. Those are all incendiary words. And, you know, the thing about mobs is you don't need everybody in the mob to come with the intention of being a part of a violent mob. You just have to have a few really good leaders and then the the movement of the group, the, the energy of the group takes over and things become more and more out of control. The other thing that Donald Trump did that white supremacists love is he popularized lying to the American people. He made sycophancy popular among the smallest, meanest, least capable members of the elected GOP because it worked for them. It made them feel important. It made their constituents feel their representative was important. And when 51% of the American electorate voted for Joe Biden, Trump's ego and his authoritarian tendencies lent themselves to the biggest lie. The 2020 election was stolen from him and from his dispossessed supporters. It was a lie. 147 members of the House of Representatives were willing to perpetuate, regardless of the consequences to the nation and the fact. And they, the 147, they were accompanied by a group of senators led by two would-be authoritarian leaders. And while the rioters failed on January 6th, it would be, as the FBI director and the Joint Chiefs of Staff have acknowledged, a mistake to think the danger to our democracy has passed. The militiamen have come to fight and they plan to stay unless the rest of us, unless the nation fights back. And fight back, we must. On January 20th, 2021, the resilience of the American people and the constitution we all revere will be on full display on the Capitol steps. But this is not a normal, peaceful, optimistic transfer of power. 
It is rather a solemn statement of resolve. Resolve of a people to secure for ourselves and our children the blessings of liberty and the promise that can come with genuine unity and genuine internal peace. We the people have been warned. We have seen the danger. It is up to us to insist that what happened on January 6th, 2021 can never happen again. We must be vigilant. We must say something when we hear or read something that smacks of white supremacists and other stripes of neo-fascism and other militia activities. A lot of the people who are being arrested in the post-January 6th um, law enforcement efforts thought they were going to get away with it. They thought they were going to go bust up the Capitol and just disappear back into their little holes. But they're not because their neighbors saw their pictures on television and turned them in. And we got to continue to do that. But it's more than that. We got to clean up Congress. We have to cleanse the House and the Senate of those who would put power and party before country. The Senate must listen to the evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors against Donald Trump and vote to convict and impeach him, stripping him of the taxpayer-funded perquisites of office. Former presidents get a pension, $200,000. Their spouses get a smaller pension. They also get a million-dollar-year travel budget. They get round-the-clock lifetime Secret Service protection. All of that costs a lot of money at a time when we don't have enough money in the Treasury to fund the necessary things. So there's a financial incentive here. But the most important reasons for continuing to hold the trial and to vote to convict Donald Trump, even after he's left office on January 20th, most important reasons are first to bar him from further elective office. And I think even more importantly, to send a clear warning to any future president who might think to emulate Trump's behavior. In parallel, law enforcement must identify both the January 6th militia ringleaders and their co-conspirators in Congress and prosecute them to the full extent of the law. It's going to come as a shock to the former Olympic swimmer, the uh, Chicago tech company CEO, the former Chicago retired fireman, etc., when they find themselves in a federal prison. It may get serious for them when they find themselves in a federal prison. The challenge ahead is not to suppress violent insurrectionists. No, the challenge is to restore the optimism that has accompanied every peaceful transfer of power in our history since Washington turned over the keys of office to John Adams. 
It's that sense of optimism, that peaceful transfer of power, that cooperation, that putting country before party and before power that will make us once again the emblematic democracy on earth. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.